You might not recognize Natalie with the multicolored hair, but oh boy, if you saw the podcast we did with her, it is a story that is hard to forget. And it was called Escape from Venezuela's Deadliest Prison. If you haven't seen it, I'll put it like this. Natalie arrives at the prison. She's been convicted of muling coke and she's got quite a stiff sentence. She looks up at the roof of the prison and there's a bunch of armed men, which she assumes are the guards. <laughs> the, the naivety of an English foreigner. Huh? <laughs> These are the gang members running the prison, armed to the teeth. It is mayhem. The men can access the women's facility, but because of the old school, you know, don't harm women or kids, they are actually very respectful. However, every now and then, someone who's been shot up stumbles into the women's side and dies right in front of Natalie. This is how hardcore. I mean, if you've watched that stuff with Posh Pete, you El Sal... Um, what was Posh Pete again? Do you remember? He was not Venezuela. Where was, where was Posh Pete? Ecuador. Venezuela. These countries do not mess oh, around. Oh, yeah. South America <laughs> is like next level. Next level. Yes. And... Natalie's book has been republished. It is called Escape from Venezuela's Deadliest Prison. It is now available not just in paperback and ebook, but audiobook. Please support Natalie. She's got a lifestyle in Spain, lives very humbly. And um, if you do buy the book, believe me, the money will go a long way. It's really appreciated. So the links for the book are down there. And the audiobook as well. Brilliant narration. This was all published by Gadfly Press, my company. I, you know, I've, I was riveted from Natalie's story from day one. But if you want loads more detail, check out, check out the book. So thank you very much for coming back. Thank you, Sean. And can I just say thank you to you and to Gadfly Press for um, publishing my story again me and my daughter were a little bit estranged and from our last interview the things that that has led to oh. has actually reunited me and my daughter oh. again and i'm actually here right now in the uk because i've come to see my daughter oh. and thought let me come and see you at the same time yeah. but it's all stemmed from that last interview that we did together. Wow. So thank you to you and thank you to Gavfly Press and all the crew here and, and everything. And like honestly, yeah, thank you guys. That's what we like to hear. Like people don't just come in and tell a story. Viewers reach out and opportunities arise and mothers are reunited with daughters. <laughs> this is what we want. Changing lives, good, Sean. You know, cha changing the world and changing lives. And restoring my karma for all the insane <laughs> things I did in Arizona. You see? Um. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is Natalie going to be talking about in this part two? We asked Natalie to write down 20 titles for her craziest untold stories. These are her words. <laughs> the first one. Thanks, Sean. I thought, I thought you were going to like <laughs> make it a little easier for me, but we're just going straight in. And the first one 
Police officer wanking in the cells. <laughs> Which country cells are these then? Venezuela. Venezuela. Yeah, this is Venezuela and this is the police cells. Whereabouts in your story are you at this point then? Like right at the beginning. Like, the beginning. like right at the beginning, like the first couple of nights yeah. that I've arrived to the police station. Yeah. Terrified. You know, my brain still not actually comprehending the reality of the situation. The shock of the newly incarcerated. Exactly. Still thinking, if I close my eyes, you know, still like when you're five years old and get into trouble, yeah. that, you know, still like if I close my eyes hard enough, <laughs> It'll go away! And sleep hard enough when I wake up in the morning, this isn't going to be real. But instead what happened was I got woken up at like two, three o'clock in the morning when all the other prisoners that are around me, you know, not separated. We spoke yeah. about this in the last interview. But closer to you. That are there lying by my side, you know, so instead of waking up and being like, oh, this isn't real, I'm being weak, woken up by, you know, a Venezuelan girl waking me up, like calling me. Yeah. And then she pulls me like, so we've got this the cell and then you've got like the main gate there. And then on the other side in the corner, there's like this other door, which is just like bars. And this girl, you know, wakes me up and is like telling me to be quiet. And, you know, I'm I'm like two or three days fresh in this place, still trying to process my daughter's just been taken away. I'm still very young, not understanding, you know, consequences still with that childhood belief that if I, you know, it's just like, it's just a massive shock thing going on. How old were you? Four, I was 21. 21. 21. And then, so this girl's waking me up and she's like telling me to come with her and I haven't got a clue. You know, I don't even know where I am. Is this real? Is this a dream? Is this make-believe? Will this go away? So, you know, I'm just going along with what this girl's saying to me and then she, she takes me to this other gate and everyone else is sleeping and when I look back on it now they probably weren't all sleeping they you know there were probably some of them that were awake and that just knew to pretend that they were asleep and then and then this Fat, horrible Venezuelan, like beer-bellied, you know, sweaty police officer, like just turns up and he just grabs my hand. Oh God, it's so gross. And do you know what? It actually reminded me of when I was 12, 13, you know, with those venerable men taking advantage, but not venerable men, with those powerful men taking advantage of venerable women but you think when you get to a certain age that you've that doesn't happen anymore. That was make that was the universe just giving me a reminder. Actually, you always need to be on point. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter how old you are, these <laughs> things can always happen. So then there's this the next thing I know, this police officer, and he's just he just grabs my hand through the bars. And pulls his pants down. What? And puts honestly, Sean, mate, with the other girl there, just kind of like looking out, and just pulls my hand and grabs my hand and puts my hand on his tiny, you know, if. Oh! 
that's what made it even worse. Oh. It like it was, it was just like oh, and he's like and he's like grunt oh, oh. Can... gross mate. And I'm just like, what is going on? And you get and you, and you get flashbacks with things like that of somewhat you know with the the lifestyle. And it's just like it doesn't take long. And the next thing you know, he gives her the packet of twenty fags. Don't give no! it to me, me. I don't, I don't, it's pimped not even me. It's not even. Pimped I got, got pimped me. Oh. I got pimped me. Oh. Got pimped, and I did, but I didn't know what was going on. Oh. You know, like now it's obvious. Did she at least kick you down a smoke or two? Put maybe two. <laughs> maybe two cigarettes out of that packet of twenty. You know, but oh. but actually, thank you to her yeah. and thank you to him because I learned quick yeah how things were going to be so that was my like introduction to it so you know as you go along the lines it's like okay so you know the signs like, and what was your sleeping conditions like in that room oh my god they're so horrific it was a room i know you guys can't see this camera crew but like the size of this studio What's the meters of this studio and that bit behind the screen was probably like it's about this big, guys, and about that tall. Yeah. And that and there's no lights in there. You've got um the only light is the natural light from the window, but it's not a window, it's just bars in a hole. And that's torture mm. because it's on a street. Mm. It's a police station. And right next to this window. You know, apart from, apart from this little wall so they can't get things across, yeah. you can hear, you know, everybody walking past. It's like absolute torture. And there was like this little hole in the corner, um, like a sink, like a plug hole. That's where you went to have a piss. Yes. And if you needed a shit, there was like a litre, you know, like them big bottles of water. Yeah. Cut the lid off it, plastic bag on it, no curtain, no anything. Off you go, mate. What, what about toilet roll? Have <laughs> a word, Sean. Come on. <laughs> so water. Your toilet roll was water. Yeah, like like the you know like the Indians. Yeah, like they yeah. do in India. Yeah. It was your left hand and some water. Mm. So how did you sleep in there? Were you just laid out like just panicking and going off for everything in your head? Um. When I first started sleeping there, I was I was actually by the sinkhole. Because you know, I was, you know, I was the I was the giddy. I was the, yeah. the uh, what is it in Venezuela? I'm so used to the Spanish way now. Yeah. Um, oh, well, I was the English one, and I was the last one in. Mm. So um, it was just there. I was by the pistol, and everyone's just side by side by side until you manage to acquire little mattresses or whatever, like literally stone cold floor i had maybe like a little carrier bag of a few things that the embassy had left me that would be my pillow it was just it was horrendous hot sweaty mm. um some of the girls in the cells had um ventilados um fans, fans that they had like plugged in but obviously those fans were directed at them but all a fan does is actually move the warm air around the cell Mm. it doesn't actually cool you down yeah it just circulates the hot air oh it's horrendous i remember in the arizona desert like when i was finally allowed a fan i'd like sleep 
it, I like the noise at night because it would block the other noises and out. And to this day, I still use, I have a fan near my bed, hot or cold, doesn't matter. It's still it's going. The noise. Did you ever like carry forward any things from Venezuelan prison into your life, into the present day? Any habits, sleeping um, habits? Oh, or do you know anything? what? I find a really big struggle actually mm. with the noise of the crickets. Oh, crickets. Yes. Yeah. When I first got there, the noise of the crickets mm. really bothered me mm. and it really kept me awake and annoyed me because I hadn't heard it before. Yeah. But then over the years, I got so used to it and I actually noticed that when I left Venezuela, I remember the first night that I got back to Western society mm. and I should, and you know, when I was free and I should, and I was like, I was so restless and I was like, why, you know, why, why can't I sleep? And I <sighs> figured out the sign of the cricket, in the end, the sign of the crickets actually turned into almost like a meditation. Yeah. So, you know, that, and when they were missing, because I used to fall asleep listening to them, mm -hmm. listening to them and zoning in to the sign of them, yeah. when they weren't there, my thoughts were there instead. Mm. And I was like, what's, you know, I was like, Oh, fucking crickets. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a massive thing that, yeah. So, so in my case, like I've got my fan, you could go on YouTube and just put in crickets chirping yeah. and play that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> have you? Send me the link, Sean. Send me the link. I got have it. <laughs> and were the girls nice to you in that room that in the very beginning? Well, apart from the one that was pimping me out. <laughs> um, yeah. Was there, were, a, was there a communication yeah, barrier? Yeah, massively, massively. But there was this big boss girl in there and I didn't realise how big she was until I got to the prison. But there was a girl there called um, La China. And um, I don't want her to get confused because further on in there's the book, another China, isn't there? there's another China that yeah. killed somebody. This isn't the same China. Okay. This is a different girl called La China. Mm. And she was this, big you know she she looked um almost like native american mm. like in her face and she was this big girl and she was the boss woman and she could speak a little bit of english and almost kind of took me under her her wing you know she'd have food coming in she was what well, she was running it mate she was having drugs coming and everything but she'd give me food yeah. and stuff you know and and she was awesome and she used to say to me you san antonio which is the prison mm. you men fucky fucky that's what and she used to always just try and you know make sure i had a bit of food mm. and you know and i and everyone just they just wanted they were so in interested mm by me you know did they know what you were in for already oh they just yeah absolutely yeah why else yeah yeah what, yeah, yeah <laughs> why yeah, else yeah. is like absolutely droga 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 mm -hmm. coca coca <laughs> <laughs> even i yeah <laughs> so do you think latina was being nice to you just like genuinely nice because she was intrigued by you or do you think because you're a westerner maybe down the road you would come in useful to her money getting sent in things like that I think she's been genuinely nice to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's I think good. I think that she could speak a little bit of English. Mm. I think she wanted to know more English. Mm. I think that she was clever enough to realise that this was her 
opportunity mm. to be able to learn more English. I think she was smart enough as well to realize that there's NC, you know, this fucking girl is green. Mm. Got no idea. I was young. She mm. was a bit older. Yeah, I don't think she was looking at all. I think she was just being, you know, a, a decent person. So could your English skills then become a currency? Yeah, always a currency, isn't it? Come on. <laughs> Definitely a currency. There's a lot of them, Has been a currency. There's a lot of them coming up to you asking you to help them with their English. Um, oh, all, they were trying to talk to me in English all the time. Yeah. The girls all the time mm. were trying to talk to me in English. And, you know, they didn't care about my story or what had happened. They were just like, oh, English, English, English. Try, let me, let us show you our English, yeah. you know. And it was like, right, wicked, let me learn Spanish from you. <laughs> <laughs> and were they mostly in there for drugs? Oh, everyone, everyone. they're everyone. all in there. They're everyone. all in there for drugs. War on drugs, bullshit <laughs> again. All right, so the next one then was guards tapping the line on the prisoner oh, phone, phone for free calls for themselves. Yeah. <laughs> so in the first prison that I was in, in Margarita, in San yeah. Antonio, right next to the airport, mm. there was a public telephone for the prisoners to use that you had to put a card in mm. and we'd all get locked in behind the gates at night but you could see the courtyard where the phone was and we would see the director and the governor <laughs> of the prison go in there with all the guards and they had this little machine with you know when you like have the little pincers yeah. so they'd like to tap in like the little red one and the little black one yeah. and then they'd like break this wire off and they'd put this <sighs> and they had their own telephone like their own, you know, like the old school ones yeah. where you're like, hello, hello, oh, is it me you're looking for? You're like one of those, you know, not like smart. <laughs> yeah, one of those had this like phone like that and they had this like just the handle, not the dial, just the handle and they'd like plug in like this with these little wires and we'd all watch them and be like, you fuckers. Like, because they'd rinsed their phone yeah. and hadn't paid the bill like on the on the prison phones mm -hmm. and they'd all be there next thing you know none of us could phone our families mm. the phone cards wouldn't work because they'd like ruined our phone line <gasps> what other scams did the staff pull oh my gosh what didn't they pull sean <laughs> mate? that's where they got their money from yeah you know like anyone in venezuela if they go to work in government services if they go to be um a legal aid solicitor mm. or you know a prosecution judge for the state mm -hmm. you know or you know it's not because of the wage that they're getting from the government yeah it's because what they're getting from the corruption mm -hmm. the staff they were bringing drugs in they were bringing mobile phones in mm. they were bringing guns in they were bringing food in just simple things like bringing you know food for prisoners in mm -hmm. um they're spending the prison's money instead of food. You know, they're buying a new car instead of, you know, having a new fence built. They're going on holiday with their family. You know mm. what it's like. Yeah. You know, I'm pretty sure from reading your book, it's mm. quite, you know, where you were in that first place in Arizona. You know, they, they, they're a law unto themselves. And who's going to look into them? This is how they piss away the taxpayers' money, fighting the war on drugs. They're, when... it, they're doing it themselves. <laughs> <laughs> they're running the drugs themselves while locking 
people like Natalie up saying, look how great we are fighting this war on drugs. And then when they've got people like Natalie locked up, every little opportunity to scam even more money off the taxpayers, tapping phone lines, giving all your buddies the contracts for the phones, giving all your buddies the contracts for the commissary, the razor wire, the guns, everything. It's just Chiching, 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 all the way, isn't it's it? It's a pure corruption. Yeah. It's corruption. It's 100% corruption there. And that's the only reason in, in South America that anybody decides to be a public defender, a public lawyer, a public judge is mm. because they're going to earn more, so much money yeah. on the side. And if you're out there and you're thinking of smuggling through one of these countries... You are just a sucker for these people. That's how they prey on you parasitically. Mm. Suck the life out of you. Suck the resources from your family for all the local legal mm. stuff. You are an ATM, a paycheck. Don't do it. Don't do it. Um, I actually know somebody that they had, a um, instead of a public defender, mm. they got a private um, solicitor to defend them mm. and the private solicitor spoke to their family and said if you give me £25,000 that £25,000 will buy your daughter's freedom mm. they sent him the money just went me just went with the money so what do you say to the young people watching this who attempted into getting involved in drugs in these countries don't do it like there's nothing it's not worth it at all. You might think, oh, you know, I'm so skint and I'm so bored and I could do that. And yeah, but you're free. Like you are not going to win. You're, you know, no matter how smart and how clever you think you are, you're not, you know, because they're smarter than you because they're using you. Yeah, You exactly. are literally being manipulated. You, you know, if you're thinking about doing it, then you are a vulnerable person and you must know that yourself. And these people, they prey on these vulnerable people. And they know that so many of the smugglers are going to get busted. It's just a numbers game to the traffickers. Because you may get busted, but 10 times more than that is going to get through. And then they, you know, promises to help you when you get sent down. Collateral damage. Good luck with that. So we're going into an even more corruption subject. The Ministeria de Justice, Justicia, yeah, Ministry of Justice, who had a drug smuggling prison van. They're smuggling drugs in the prison van. <laughs> how did you notice this well um so remember i was with jose yes so jose was um my boyfriend um and he was a, a prison officer so he told me all about this because he'd give me the money afterwards that he was earning Wow. so um and he told me exactly how it worked so you had the gang leaders the prangs there and you had the guardia that were arresting people like me at their airports and finding our drugs and they were skimming, you know, a kilo here and a kilo <laughs> there and catching the people on the street. But the Guardia haven't got the connections to sell that. Their connections are the gang leaders in the prison. Mm. So when the Guardia are going around the prison, you know, they're doing their business with the gang leaders and they say to the gang leaders, we've got four or five keys or whatever. And the gang leader's like, right, tell me where it is and we'll arrange to pick it up. So what would happen was um, my boyfriend, who was one of the prison guards, him and another prison guard buddy 
would go out in the Ministerio de Justicia prison van. And to, to leave the prison, there's a guardia post to go by to get in and out. So the the guy that's on the guardia post, he's paid off. He's part of it so that when the prison van comes back in, he's not searching it. Because even though they work together, they're also supposed to be like watching what's going on. Yeah. And then there's someone else in the prison, in the um, police officer's um, quarters, watching the guardia post to make sure that whilst the van goes out, the guy that's been paid off on the gate doesn't suddenly get swapped over to someone that's not been paid off. So you've got the guy inside watching. You've got my boyfriend and his mate in the Ministerio de Justicia van going out. You've got the Guardia guy there on the gate. Off they go, you know, down the mountain, you know, into the ciudad, into the city, to a hotel or to somewhere, you know, that looks, you know, not not a pueblo because they're in a Ministerio de Justicia van where they go and they pick up and they fill this van up this prison van up with drugs and bring it back in and the you know and before they come back into the prison they're ringing their mate in the quarters that's looking down on the guardia posts and saying has the guardia been changed and they're like nope it's still the same one it's all cool and then they come in and then when they come in they then take that van you know they've got their boss the gangster boss of the gangs coming down with his crew at three o'clock in the morning while everyone else locked in, they take it back up to the men's quarters where it gets redistributed and not redistributed around the prison, redistributed around the country. It then goes back out. (laughs) Once it's come in, it then goes back out and gets redistributed around, you know, certain points. Oh, my God. In different vehicles. So your own drugs follow you back into the prison. I know. It's redistribution in the prison van. Yeah. (laughs) Whoa. That's in it. This is the insanity of the war on drugs. Got the suitcase, but missed the half a kilo in the stomach. Everyone, let's get high. Oh, (laughs) yeah. So there was this girl. um, She was this African girl. She used to speak this funky language. She used to like click and go. (laughs) Like, honestly, when she was telling us like the Zimbabwe language. And she got caught in transit. And... When she got caught in transit, they'd caught her with a suitcase. And she told me that she's she'd been on the plane and she'd also swallowed loads of stuff. And she said that she'd gone to the toilet and had to shit it all out in the plane, clean it all off and swallow it oh, all again. Because no. <laughs> she's, she's in transit, you know, and she couldn't hold it in. But she had this suitcase full and she got stopped in transit in Venezuela and they caught her with the suitcase full of drugs. So because they caught her with the suitcase full of drugs, they didn't even think for a minute that she had half a kilo in her stomach as well. So she got, they took the suitcase off and she, and she told me she spent three days shitting this half a kilo out, washing it off. And swallowing it again in the process of getting to the actual 
prison. Oh. And then when she got to the prison, she let it all out. Oh, she was everybody's friend. <laughs> she just she to come in with half a kilo in her stomach. Holy you know? shit. Yeah. Was she just giving it away or was she trying to hustle? Uh, she was giving it, she was, you know, she was brand new from like Africa. Yeah. She And she was on it. That's why she was doing it. She was a crackhead herself, you know, so she was like, mm. you know, smoking it herself and then giving it away and until she had nothing left. What countries were the foreign prisoners mostly from? England, Holland, America. England, Holland, America. Yeah. Um, couple from Germany, but main, mainly England, Holland, America. Mainly England, Holland and America. Yeah. Wow, so it's just like, you'd think they would be from the poorest countries of the world, not the richest. Mm. So are they like just advent people out for adventure then, kind of thing? Just people looking to make easy money. Drug yeah. addicts. Yeah. Most most of them drug addicts. Mm. And if they and if they weren't drug addicts, drug, drug addicts themselves, entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs. Yeah, that yeah. were trying to make their own, you know, clocking on and making connections themselves and mm. being like let me go and do this figure this stuff out for myself and the drug addicts foreign drug addicts then learn how to maintain that habit in prison or do they have to like does it dry up at some points mm, it depends how clever they are yeah or how strong their addiction is like if they got family sending them money things like that is how they can keep it going the mm. Most of them stay drug addicts. Most of them stay. Yeah. yeah. And even if they haven't got families sending them money, you know, prisons over there are communities. Yeah. Can make money, mm -hmm. prostitution, mm. robbing, stealing, working, washing people's clothes. It's, you know, it's the same. It's it's a community. You're saying prison prostitution then? Would that yes. be prostitution to the staff? To anybody. To anybody. Yeah, to the male prisoners, but like completely consensual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Prostitution. There's, yeah. you know, there's a very respectful line mm. between the mate. You know, there's no abusing women and raping women. Yeah. But if there's, you know, drug addicted girls there mm. that are quite happy mm. to sleep with male prisoners or male guards or you know in exchange for money and drugs as long as it's all consensual yeah. then it's, there's no problem like it's you know it's, and what's the logistics of that then do the men come to the women's quarters or the women go to the men's quarters it's just all open anyone can go wherever <laughs> they want <laughs> it's, it's it, like you it's the women that go to the men's mainly because yeah. it's more fun than <laughs> <laughs> the men's it's boring in the women's side so it's all open and yeah. you know throughout the hours of the day mm. it's just complete freedom of go where you want let's just recap because this was one of the most fascinating things from your talk in the first time if people saw the first podcast what happens to the sex offenders in the venezuelan prison oh my god um so when the sex offenders um, get sentenced, they the they get sentenced in the courts, obviously, and they get taken down to the cells. And before any of the prisoners get taken back to the police station, there's a first stream of guardia that go back with all the paperwork. And then some of those guardia, like so that then those prisoners get allocated which kind of building or which like wing they're going to go to 
And so if there's a sex offender that's coming back, so the Guardia will go, if they've been allocated to, you know, the Edificio B or something, then the Guardia will go to the gang leader of Edificio B and say, so you've got a new prisoner coming in today. His name's like Juan Carlos. He's a sex offender. And so when that sex offender then arrives, um, he gets tortured for, for three days and the Guardia, the prison officers, you know, they know and they completely will stay away, turn a blind eye and he'll get tortured for three days and then on the third day um, gets basically told to kill himself, which which they do voluntarily because they've been tortured for, for three days. And that is standard procedure and it's not looked into, it's not investigated when a sex offender goes to prison in Venezuela, when they go to prison from the ju- from the courts, the judge lets the family come down and see that offender because the judge knows they are giving him the death sentence. They're not giving him 10 years or five years. They are sentencing him to death and they're fully aware of that. So then the, they say goodbye to the families on that day. Yeah. So they know what's going to happen to them. Yes. Uh, but but <sighs> do you know what's quite interesting? You want to see the ratio of sex offenders in South America compared to England? Probably a lot less. Oh, there's about, I think I saw three in the five years of being there. Wow. It's probably like three a week in here, isn't it? Probably more than that. And there's just so many more out there because the police are just busy patting kids down for drugs. Yeah. So, next one is the drug dealing hierarchy and its politics within the prison. Oh, yeah. So this is, again, this is, comes down to the gang leaders and, you know, people wanting to sell drugs in the in the prison. You know, you, you can't just suddenly decide you want to, you know, you can't just suddenly get your family to, you know, bring you and smuggle you in like a, you know, you can't get your missus to smuggle <laughs> you in a fanny full of crack and then, <laughs> and then decide you just can start selling it. Yeah. Like, absolutely not. If you, as a male prisoner want to sell drugs in the prison then you need to go to the boss and you need to ask the boss you know and the boss will then probably pass you on to somebody else you know you probably won't go to him direct again there is a hierarchy of you know if you're going to sell drugs you're not just doing it on your ones and twos you are getting permission from the boss, you know, which means you're also protected. Yeah. And if you decide you want to do that stuff without going to the boss, then you may as well just sign your own death certificate. You literally, if you're just going, you know, you're just going to get, you know, shot. You'll probably get a warning and get shot in the knees or something before they actually like kill you in the head. Yeah. But I don't think anyone would even actually do it without going to the in, unless they think they're going to be the next boss and they're going to go and shoot him in the head and tell everyone actually it's me running things now He's, there's no way that yeah. you're just going to start you know selling things in the prison by yourself an absolute chain of command have you watched anything that Peter Triton's done then aka Posh Pete or read his book or anything I haven't but we've been talking yeah actually we've been chatting yeah I haven't but he I think he saw our interview mm. and messaged me before because yeah. I think I got interviewed before him, didn't I? Yes. And I think he messaged me and mm. said, "Hey, yo, I've seen your thing, and I'm going to see Sean." And yeah. we like, and it was him also that um, 
advised me to have a chat to National Geographic about mm. things that were going on. And mm. I, apart from yours, Sean, I don't tend to read these books. So if I connect with yeah. people, I like to hear their. Because it's like he was moving some stuff for the gangs. And, I, you know, we were wondering how he got through it because people were dying all the time. But like you just said it there, if you are working for the gang in that capacity, then you're an asset to them, aren't you? So they're going to protect you. 100%. Yeah, yeah, you're untouchable. So if he's dealing it then to the other expats or whatever, that's a good source of money for them. Of course, because they're yeah. the ones that got the, you know, they've yeah. got the money, the expats. They've got the families sending them the money. Yeah, and, you know? of course. All right, so they released lorry jackings. Oh, God. <laughs> Was this your day release? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Were you doing this on your day release? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so it's in another country, so I can talk freely about this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so when I got my day releases, so my boyfriend the was, guard. was the prison guard. And so he would try and arrange his shifts as much as possible that he could have like a hospital shift outside or whatever so he could get out with me. But sometimes he couldn't. And the guys that had their day releases, like the big guys that got out. So because my boyfriend used to do work with them, he used to entrust me into their care. <laughs> this is where this went. He used to entrust me into their care on my day releases yeah. and say to them, like, can you look after her? So the first day this happened, they were like, right, do you want to help us hijack lawyers? But you cannot tell who's A. <laughs> and I was like <laughs> like you can't tell him and I was like what happens and they were like you're gonna you're perfect you've got blonde hair you've got blue eyes there there were markets used to go on like every week and every week the market would change like the the it would be like electronics one week tobacco things next week so oh god so they'd um so the first time they were like right this is what this is what we you know we want you to do and they took me to like this road where the lorries were going on the way to the market and they'd show me a certain lorry with the number plate and they were like right that lorry there it's full of american style fridge freezers washing machines that's the lorry that we want you to get and i was like how am i supposed to get that and they're like oh just wear a short skirt and a crop top and stand there hitching and he's gonna he's gonna pick you up and then they took me further down the road and said right so he's gonna take you down here down here down here and then we got to a point maybe like you know 50 kilometers down the road and when they say like when, when you get to this bar tell the lorry driver that you want to get dropped off somewhere around here and they're like the only place around here that the lorry can drive can drop you off is in the next lay-by, which is on the next left hand, coming up around that corner on the left-hand side, and then they took me to the lay-by. And they'd be like, so when he drops you off, we're going to be waiting here. They're like, we're going to rag you out. He's going to pull over to drop, and this is what happened. They're like, he's with <laughs> and they're like, and we're going to put a gun to your head, and we're going to pull you out, but don't worry, you know, with <laughs> it's all okay, we're just walking you through it now. So this is what happened. Oh, what a crazy country. This is what happened. This is on my day release. Yeah. So I get like, I got let out at like eight o'clock in the morning yeah. and they're picking me up in a car and they're like taking me to this road. And I'm like, what happens if the lorry driver doesn't stop? And they're like, he's going to stop. 
Like, don't worry about that. So take us through it then. You're on the road. I'm on the road. Got your thumb out. Yeah, I know. I know which lorry to look out for. Yeah. There's a specific lorrying. Right. So I've got my thumb out. Yeah. And he fucking pulls over. So my heart's going. And I know what's going to happen, but my heart is like... And he pulls over. Yeah. And then we're going up the road and then we get to this bar on the right-hand side on this mountain track. And I say to the lorry driver, oh, just, you know, just anywhere around here. <laughs> Knowing myself that the only place anywhere around here is 500 meters up the road where there's a lay-by. Yeah. And he pulls in the lay-by, you know, I, I think he must be able to hear my heart. I can hear it. <laughs> it's echoing. The acoustics around the cab of the lorry are echoing. Like, he must be able to hear it. And then we get there and he pulls over. And the moment he pulls over, like, both doors fling, you know, he, they're like, ah, get that, get that, salga, 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 they mato y we puta, salga. And they get me as well, all balaclavered up. And yeah. they grab me round the neck with a gun to my head and pull me out. And I know, wow. but I'm like, fuck, what happens if they actually shoot me? Because, you know, because they've got a gun to my head again. Here I am again <laughs> with a gun to my head in Venezuela. Recurring theme. Yes, you know, and it's for absolutely mental yeah. and they take the lorry driver off and they put him in a car and I never asked and what happened but you know I hope they were cool and I hope the lorry driver was like always okay and you know karma will I will have to pay my karma for this but this is how it is and this is what's happened and you, you know did you get a kick down from the goods oh my gosh I don't think I've ever been so rich in my life Sean honestly We'd come, but so we'd get out of the car and we'd, well, we'd get in the car and we take, they take me out of the car park and they take the balaclavas off. I went to the nicest, poshest restaurants. The first place that we would go to would be some banging restaurant. Like it must, even though I, I don't know if they've got Michelin star in Venezuela, but if they do, <laughs> those were the places that I was going. Wow. You know, next thing they take me, taking me to the shopping centers. Gucci tracksuits, watches, and then a load of money. And I'm like, what can I do with this? I can't, I'm going back to prison. Like, thanks could, for all could, the tracksuits, but you were just about to take me back to prison. Could you give it to your man, the money? Do I give it to him? Yeah. Yeah, tonight. well, we, yeah, we, like, yeah, we yeah. kept it. I told him to keep it half the time because mm. I was like, what can I do with this money? Oh, but he wasn't supposed to know you were doing this, was no, he? No, no. That's right. Yeah yeah. 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 So I'd like give him bits, you know, yeah, but like he yeah. used to give me his wages. Yeah. And he'd give me so much of his wages all the time. Mm. And then I'd be like, oh, yeah, you've got this. I'd just spend it. Yeah. I'd spend what I could. And half the time, Sean, to be honest, I'd just let them keep it. Mm. So let me get this straight then. These are drug trafficking prison guards who are sticking up trucks. No, these aren't the guards. Oh, they're not the guards. No, these are the prisoners. Oh, these are the prisoners. These are the prisoners. These are the male prisoners. The male prisoners. That are on their day release. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. These are the, so I'm on my day release. Holy shit. They're on their day release. But the male prisoners, when the male prisoners get their day release, yeah. they get moved to somewhere in the village. Mm. The women still have to stay in the prison, mm. but the guys get moved to somewhere in the village, yeah. like to like a center in the village. Yeah. No, this is male prisoners. It's still insane. You got the guards trafficking the drugs in prison vans, and you got prisoners on day release sticking up lorries. It's, it's like. Come on, Sean, you know how it is. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, so rice and potato moonshine. Oh, my God. So um, this is, yeah, miche, they call it in South America. Um, I don't know what percentage. It's like 90-odd percent pure alcohol. I got into some trouble with this. Oh, my gosh. So um, these guys, they brew this stuff, and then they bury it underground and distill it. And they have this little tube that put, that sticks out and it just drips down. This is in the prison. Yes. Yeah. And it just drips down, you know, into, and it makes this really cloudy mixture. Do you know what the recipe is? For apart from potatoes and rice and I think yeast and I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. It is the strongest thing I've ever known about in my life. But I didn't know that at the time. I, you know, mistakenly like a fool took it to be something like vodka. And um, so this used to be like a big currency. And it used to be a nice way that the guys, like sometimes we weren't allowed to associate with them and we'd be like blocked off from them coming into the Nexo or from us being able to go with them. And if, if they had plenty of it, if they'd just done a big brew, they'd walk down and they'd throw it over the wall to us or if it was someone's birthday or if someone was paying for it oh god so this one time at band camp <laughs> i was doing gaita at the time which is like the venezuelan version of christmas carols mm. and you have this song and this dance that goes with it and one of the male prisoners was actually a famous venezuelan cantante singer and he got caught in Ecuador and be been repatriated back to Venezuela because his money had family. So they set up this Gaita group, and because I had this famous Venezuela <laughs> singer and this gringa, you know, the Gaita groups called like it suddenly got a lot of attention from the press and from the governments. And so, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is so bad. So we got offered them to be taken they have like like almost like gaita wars like dance wars you know like christmas carol wars like right yeah battles um and it was a unique thing you know this prison band you've got this english guy you've got this famous venezuelan cantante (laughs) so um we had to do like the we were all booked to go on this tour out of the prison so bad and um so we had to do like a show, you know, in our kind of like hall, you know, big kind of sports hall. I think we had like the deputy president of, you know, Venezuela there, all the judges, the solicitors, like all the most influential pol- political people there. They're doing a big thing about this in the media, you know, and I'm nervous as hell, mate. I can't sing and I can't dance. You know, in some way or another, I'm in this guide group. <laughs> I'm just absolutely bricking it, you know. So I, I see the guys in the morning and I'm like, get me some meeting. Like, fucking come on, I need something. Oh, so they bring me this like little, you know, like these little water bottles you get like that. They brought me one of those over. Oh, I dined it. The whole thing? Yeah. Had you done it before? Yeah, no, not with like little bits. Little bits, but I was just like, uh, 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 you know, down it like I was like a 12 year old with my first bottle of red wine or something, you know. Next thing you know, I get pushed out like on this stage 
in front of like my judge that's reviewing my case, like the, the, like I said, the deputy president, the governors, like everybody. <laughs> and all I remember, like we're doing the dance and I remember physically being held up. Like I remember that I was that limp, like <laughs> trying to, I don't even think I was singing the words. I just remember just being held up, you know. Next thing I know, I come around two days later, two days later, and I'm two days later, I'm in my cell, and I'm like, "What's happened?" Oh, I could make that to stop it. I passed out on there. Like the rest of the group are trying to like do their best, you know, to hold me up, <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm just literally unconscious on, on the stage while the rest of the band are just trying to like shit, you know, like a pepper or something, you know. Don't think my lips are even moving. And, and yeah, because that didn't go down well. <laughs> I didn't get to go on the guitar tour anyway. <laughs> Everyone else did, but not me. <laughs> no education, no new prison van, no food. By the but the director has a nice new car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the the state um, do allocate the prisons many. You know, it's budgets. It goes somewhere, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is, you know, there is actually, you know, a budget. You know, here's your food budget. Um, Our prison, the actual ministerial, the justicia van that they were smuggling the drugs in was was falling to pieces. (laughs) Good job there's no, what do you call them here, Voza, in checking the state of the vehicles in South America. Um, but yeah, like the prison van is falling apart. You know, we got we got the food budget, and it's and it's the director that is you know the first person that it goes to when it gets to the jail is the director, and then it's the director's responsibility to then allocate that you know budget to his new Mercedes Benz that he's going to get, <laughs> basically. And there's like no food in the prison for like months. There's no new prison van. I actually got to the point for months where nobody could get to court, where none of the prisoners were getting to court because there was no prison van to get them to court because the governor had bought a brand new car with all the money you know, for our food and, and vehicles. You know. And he didn't get sacked or anything, but you know he lost his job. But that's fine because he kept the car. So I'm sure he was happy. Yeah, it reminds me of a Mexican story. Like, so to fight the war on drugs to get all these like helicopters from America... And as soon as they get trained in the helicopters and the Americans go back to America, the governors are all like flying the girlfriends. Yeah, the <laughs> <laughs> can do what they want, can't yeah, they? Yeah, At that yeah. level of authority, yeah, yeah. going to because it's so corrupt. Yeah, you know, if you, you know, if it's like, oh, you know, if if someone of of level authority is going to, you know, inform on the gov on the director, well, he's going to inform on the person that gave him the money in the first place that hasn't, you know, it's the the layers of corruption yeah. are just, you know, it's almost Masonic, isn't it, with their, you know, sneaky deals and backhanders. And you're probably going to die if you inform on a governor. So no one does it. All right, so the next one then is gun smuggling. Oh, gosh, right, who buys? This one by the guards? By the, yeah, it's just the, the guns. Uh, the guns, the prisoners. Uh, the guards that were smuggling in the guns more than anything... Um, I don't know where they were getting them from, but it's not families bringing in the guns. 
when you see, you know, they're, they're making guns themselves out of the beds. They, you know, they've got the prison beds. You know, if, if the governor lets them have any, if he hasn't bought a new car, are these hollow metal prison beds. And they make guns out of that with elastic bands and uh, quite easily. But the artillery that they have, you know, they've got machine guns and they've got AK-47s. They've got, you know, serious weaponry. This is coming in from the guards. I imagine maybe in a similar way that the drugs were coming in. Maybe there's another personal or maybe there's a guardia in the middle of the night that's letting things in and the guardia are just bringing in and sometimes the prisoners would have so much artillery that they would actually go to the director of the prison and say don't let the women out today don't panic we've got so much artillery and um, we're going to get our weapons out and we're going to test our weapons but there's, it's okay, nothing's going on. We're not at war with the other side and they'd have to get the other side to go to the director. They'd have a little meeting and the other side would go to the director and say, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah. there's no war going on, but just don't let the women out. But we've all got excess of like bullets and weaponry. So we're just going to test our machinery and, you know, but don't panic and, you know, it's all okay. And then you'd be there and all you'd hear for half a day, it's like machine guns going on and firing's going on, you know, but no alarms, nobody's dead. Everyone's going on fine. We're just, it's all right. They're just testing the weapons. <laughs> Wow. It's nuts. Stabbing, shootings and murders not investigated. Yeah, none of them. None Ever. Of them. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> Ever. Apart from when the girl got shot, Latina, mm. that we spoke about oh, last man, time. Oh, man, if you want the Latina story, if you're watching this, I urge you to watch Natalie Welch Part 1. It, the link will be at the top of the description box with the links to the books. Go and watch the story of Lachina. <laughs> so, apart from her, yeah. no deaths, no stabbings, no murders were ever, ever investigated. It was so internal, you know, that it was so, and there was such this chain of command, you know, and that chain of command wasn't just from the prison boss to the prisoners, that chain of command was from the prison boss to the director, from the business things that they had going on. And there was these unwritten laws and, you know, commands that you just didn't mess up with. And if, you know, if you didn't obey those rules, these were the consequences. And when somebody got shot or killed you know if somebody got shot it was a warning you know if they weren't killed and they were just being shot in the kneecap or you know in the arm or you know it, and you always knew the level of the warning you know it was like that it's just the warning and there was never any investigating even from the embassies even you know because it happened to english people as well there was a guy called danny in um venezuela and he'd got shot in the arm because he just run up this drug bill so high assuring them oh you know i've got my embassy i've got my family bollocks he didn't have any of that he was just a drug addict that was getting you know winging it as far as he could and he got a shot in the arm as a warning and the embassies don't come and get involved with any of that because it goes to such these layers and levels of politics 
you know, for the British government to intervene on that. Well, maybe you're not going to get any petrol next week if you, you know, you want to look into this. Maybe we're not going to send you any oil your way if you're going to dig into this too much. It really, the late, you know, it might be so small on this level, but actually the layers that it goes through politically wise. And then when people, when the guys were getting killed, it was just normal. It was just such a norm. There was never anybody coming around, you know, questioning you. Have you seen anything? Has anything happened? Nobody would dare question you. It was just completely the norm. Everything was doubt internally. And if somebody had got shot or got stabbed, it was for a reason. It wasn't unjustified. Yeah, because if you're in a prison and you've got to investigate and report murders and shooters and stabbings, you're going to get your funding reduced. So if you don't investigate them, they didn't happen. Exactly. <laughs> and how did you feel then, being in a proximity to extreme violence and murder? Did that take some getting used to? I, just, I couldn't, ex it was just, it wasn't happening. It was so, and to be suddenly thrown into this world, Sean, I think I went into a state of shock for for a while. I've just not, my brain just literally not being able to comprehend, you know, coming from the Western world to suddenly be thrown into that. It's just so difficult to, to process. What was the first act of extreme violence that you encountered or saw? Hmm, so I think the first thing for me I didn't see it, but it was like the first morning in the prison was I got woken up to these sirens, which are like the World War II sirens. And it's all the girls, you know, crying and screaming because someone's been killed. And, you know, it's just like, boom, like what? Are, you get woken up by that. And this reality check of like, actually someone's dead. And it's quite interesting because... I still talked to one of the guys, English guys that was in prison at the same time. And I spoke to him um, a few months ago and said, because I live in the Campo in Spain now, I hear gunshots quite often with the hunters. And it doesn't matter how many times I think I'm used to it. Every time, if I'm just out in the morning, you know, doing my tender, my you know, garden and my plants and my vegetables and whatever, and I hear these gunshots, I just literally, boom, I'm just there in an instant. And I was talking to my friend that was in the Venezuelan prison and the male guy, and I said to him, like, does it ever go away? Because he got out before me. And he said, no, I was in Cuba last year and these alarms went on and just like that in an instant, it just, it never goes away. So it's quite extreme and then you just have to try and over the years just like, it's okay, I'm not there now, I'm here. That moment's gone. Does the guy who was in prison at the same time as you, does, is he looking to tell his story or does he not want to relive it? Um, I don't think he does. He's done He's done a banged up abroad. Um, uh, he's done one of those and I've, I, think, I think that he's just happy. He's got his family and everything now. Yeah, and you just got permission to talk about your banged up abroad. I did actually. Well, we just spoke to Harry, didn't yeah, we? So you yeah, you directed my banged up abroad. <laughs> yeah, we just spoke to Harry. Yeah, yeah. So I've just done a series with them. They came over to Spain. 
rented like some film studios over there and we spent a few days there um it was really intense actually like we're talking about it now like yeah. this and laughing and joking about it but when they're filming it they take you back there yeah, yeah. but how did you feel why did you do that and i was like i need a break it's like they really dig deep yeah. so yeah so keep an eye out guys soon for the series on national geographic did they have it like a camera where his face is on like a pain yes. thingy and he's yes. not really there and you're yes. looking at it like a yeah like one with a, <laughs> like mirror. a hologram yes like like a mirror yeah and then him and then another one by the side just relax <laughs> <laughs> i'm in this warehouse it's freezing cold as well and dark you know yeah. and this mirror there and the screen there and this camera there yeah. it's just like why this is intense do you know when your episode will be published I don't know because of COVID. Mm. So they were planning to publish it in September, mm. but they want to do like their reenactment. Yeah. And because of COVID restrictions mm. with traveling at the moment, they're struggling to finish off the last bits. So at the moment, they're looking into either subcontracting it mm. to another company to finish off the other bits or wait and see what happens in a couple of months and see if they can get somewhere and finish off these last bits. Your prospective title yet for your episode? Oh, I don't know. No. <laughs> oh, no. <sighs> Haven't been hit with those yet. I think it might potentially be the same as the book. Yeah, Escape from Venezuela's Deadliest Prison. I think so, yeah. That's yeah. A, a title in what's been coming up a lot, yeah. Well, that'll be good because it'll send book sales through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> be lovely, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, then. So, day release smugglers. Oh God, yeah. Just every like so many of the girls going out um in the day just to do their work, you know, going to be the head to go to the hairdressers to do their job or, you know, whatever, and just coming back in, you know, just absolutely loaded up with drugs. Yeah. So, you know, depending, you know, some of them, the best ones were the ones that were doing it for the guys. You know, if there's, there was a shortage of stuff in there, because if it was, if you're doing it for the guide, you were 100% pretty much protected because, you know, the guys have paid the guardia. So when you're coming in, you don't even have to worry that the guardia that's searching you, you know, you know that he's been paid off handsomely, you know. But then sometimes it was happened where it wasn't for the guys. And they were just winging it and they were just bringing a cake in and, you know, life's going in the cake from birthday cake for your kid that's in there. Oh, wow, look, there's a kilo of weed in there. So it was, again, it's like this hierarchy of, you know, who are you working for? Who are you doing it for? Have you gone through the, you know, the hierarchy of paying the right people off? And, you know, are you just winging it? Because if you're just winging it, then you better be winging it good and then be inventing something that they haven't even thought of or come across before. And if not, then you better be working for somebody that's got you protected. So if you're winging it then and you're busted, what are the scenarios that could happen? Could you, like, get a new case? Oh, totally. Absolutely. So you've lost, you've lost your day releases straight away for starters and then no not only do you have to finish off your current sentence 
you're getting another 10 years then oh. on top of that because there's no there's no flexibility about it 10 years over there if you get caught with drugs it doesn't matter whether it's a gram of weed or a ton of cocaine it's 10 years it's you know it's just that across the board and what percent of the 10 do you have to serve about eight years Eight, yeah. 80%. Unless you're a badass motherfucking legend like me and escape. escape. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to find out how she did that, check out the Quite book. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so corrupt drug prison guards. Oh, so this we, we touched across um, amongst this earlier with the ministerial, the justicia van, yeah. bringing the drugs in. Mm. Um like this goes down through to the not just the guards to the administrators mm. to the people working in the offices in the director's building mm -hmm. that are processing your paperwork mm. you know if you want to get day release even if you've been an absolute angel you know you still you, you're not going to get he's not going to sign off your paper to give you your day release and you unless you give him some money yeah you know if you want a mobile phone bringing in you know you have to pay a prison unless you've got a boyfriend bringing it in for you or a family member you know that's very um creative mm. with, with, their, <laughs> <laughs> with their offices <laughs> um uh, and food you know if you want food bringing in like the the whole system again it's the same as the directors and the solicitors and the judges it's the same for the prison guards. You know, people do not go into that job in South America because they want to be a prison guard and, you know, fight crime. And, you know, it's because they come from poor families and they haven't got college education or university degrees and don't have many opportunities. So they go to work in prisons as prison guards because they might earn, I don't know, maybe a thousand pound a month as a prison guard, but they're gonna earn 5,000 pound a month from the corruption yeah. of all the things that you do on the side there. The drugs must keep flowing. The yeah. money ensures that, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, 100%. So visitors coming in then, what is the procedure? Do you have to wait for hours outside and get strip searched and sniff for dogs and totally, yeah, 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 yeah. There's a there'd be a massive queue, mm. like a huge queue. Do you have to apply, like, be on a visitation list, or can you just show up? Uh, you could just show up. Yeah, in Venezuela, there was no mm. list. You could just show up, mm. and the earlier you got there, then the sooner you got in because mm. the queue would just be that long, because that's how a lot of prisoners got their food. You know, it was the, their visitors bringing them, you know, it's like they'd been to Asda and, you know, and, and done their like family weekly shop at Asda with their five bags and their picnic trolleys and, you know, to bring, it was literally like that. So you're allowed to just bring unlimited food into Absolutely. the prison. But that's why the Do you have to kick some of that down to the guards when you're coming in? I don't know, mm. like how it worked for mm. the, I, I imagine, I think for the bosses, the guards were probably paid some money to like, this is my family, you know, let them in quick. Don't search their stuff. So you can They're jump gonna, the queue. Yeah, you can jump the queue. Um, but if, you know, if you come from a poor family, then they're going to search every, which is why it would take so long for the queue to come, a visitor to come in because they would go, you know, through everything because unless they'd been paid, 
you know, unless they've been paid off to not look through your stuff, they're just going through it all. And then the, the prisoner, the visitors had more access to the prison than us as prisoners. They could go anywhere they wanted. But when it was visiting days, the women, we weren't allowed to leave our side to go to the men's side because a lot of the men had wives coming in, visiting them, but also had girlfriends that were girlfriend prisoners. So they had to keep them like separated. But the actual prisoner visitors could walk around the men's side, the girls' side. They could walk around everywhere. So they were smuggling drugs a lot as well. The visitors would be smuggling drugs a lot from the men's side over to the women's side, taking things over. So there's no visitation room as such. Not at all. You just as go such. wherever you want in the prison. <laughs> no, no, just no, it's not, yeah. Not completely non-existent. <laughs> Doesn't that lead to people trying to escape? Like, you could pretend to be a visitor if you're a prisoner, and like, I think, yeah, I that's happened. I think that has. Yeah. I think I heard stories of that happening. But you have to have an ID card mm. to get in. You have to have an ID card, and so then to get out, you need to. You know, you can't get out without correlating your face with your ID mm. card. I think they were brothers. I think I. Th think i vaguely remember something about some brothers that had like swapped places and got caught twins yes something <laughs> like that one of my favorite bang up abroads is um the guy dresses up the prisoner dresses up as a female visitor oh i think i've heard Have this one yeah. i think i've heard this one <laughs> and great. he got quite far didn't yeah, he I think, yeah, he yeah, nearly yeah. got there yeah, didn't yeah, he yeah, 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 yeah. yeah i think i've seen that one <laughs> good on him but that's how the guy from um, midnight express yeah wasn't it you know that's how he got out wasn't it that by like dressing up as a as a as an officer yeah wasn't it and was yeah. like dragging himself out I've actually got a little interview I did with him on the channel now. Oh, yeah? Billy Hayes. Yeah? yeah. Yeah. Have you watched many of the Bangalore Broads? Not so much. Did you watch the Indonesia one? I don't think I have. What happened there? Oh, my God. What happened? There's this gang of us, they're called the Assassins. And these two Australian guys get arrested. One gets released. The one who's left in, the, the, the Assassins don't like him. And um, they murder him, basically. And he's on the operating table. And he's, he leaves his body and he's looking down at himself. And honestly, it's the, one of the most harrowing ones I've ever watched. And um, he gets out of there. When he finally gets out, he's got like an eye missing. And he's all his um, bones Shut have been broken up. and these have been stabbed Shut up. up Sean. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the one where he. The guy who got released was the one who was the more criminal one. Mm. So he was kind of like his. He was a bit a bit daft, the one who got left behind in the prison. But the guy comes back for him to help him escape. Oh, does he? But he's like... Oh, God. He ends up falling through a roof. Oh, shit. And I think he ends up in with the lunatics. Oh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's nuts, isn't it? It is nuts. It's mental. That was one it? of the best ones ever, that one, the Indonesian one. And the prison in Indonesia... The local sport is all the local people just come with like rotten fruit and, and veg. And throw it. And, and just throw it at the prisoners. <laughs> that, oh, that's their local sport, throwing yeah. their prisoners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so bad, isn't it? So we like to include life lessons for backpackers and young people in these <laughs> podcasts. Don't do any crazy shit in these countries, man. You will not. <laughs> you will you'll end up on my show 10 years from now 
thinking, what the fuck have I done? Oh, God. All right, so corruption amongst the ranks. I think we've touched this one yeah, as well, we did, actually. We? Yeah, we've touched this one as well, haven't we? About the hierarchy of the drug dealing. Yeah. yeah. Guard smoking crack with the prisoners, drinking and sniffing with the prisoners. Yeah. So when um, there would be parties quite regularly, when I was in San Antonio, they used to do fat raves in there. They used to, especially, especially when there'd been gang warfare going on if that you know if the prison had been locked down for a few days and there had been some really serious gang warfare going on i think we touched on talked about this the last parties time. like got the stress out of the system yes yes to try and like get the you know vibes going again and well not the vibes but to just try and relax everybody because the tension would be everyone would be so tense you know so they'd bring these rigs in and have these parties this is when the Michi would come out this moonshine, the rice and potato moonshine. And the guards, you know, would be there with you. Like the prison guards would be there with you. Just absolutely, you know, you're there drinking right next to them because it's a party. It's almost like it's like, okay, it's allowed today. You know, and you're drinking because because you're with the guys as well. And the guys have paid somebody for this to, you know, happen. It's all allowed and you're drinking, you know, the moonshine and the, you know, the prison guard next to you and you're passing him, you know, like you're all a community. There's, you know, it's not like you're a prisoner in their regard. You're, you're just all there at a at party. Would the, would the guards hit on the women much? I mean, you told, you started out with a story like about the, that cop, but in the prison environment, would the guards hit on the women? Or was it more respectful? I'd say it was quite respect in the prison. Yeah, maybe not so much in the police station. But in the prison, it, it it was quite respectful. There were, you know, because uh, to be honest, a lot of the guards, they they worked as couples in the prison. So a lot of the male guards, you know, their fe- their partners were the female guards mm. because it's the hours and the shifts that they do. It's probably quite hard, I imagine, to have a private life outside of that, that mm. and somebody that isn't in that same kind of routine can understand. <clears throat> so you'd actually find that a lot of the female and male guards were actually couples. Did the females work on both sides? No. No. Just the, f- the female side? Yeah. But most of your guards, were they male or female then? On well, your side? On our side, it was mainly female. Mainly female. But there were only like 100 of us and there were like 900 yeah. men so you know mm-hmm. there would there would there would always be male guards hanging around mm. and it was usually because their girlfriend was a female guard mm. or a prisoner yeah. or they were trying to get in with one of them or you know mm. there were always male guards hanging around you know when we weren't able to flow freely around the prison yeah plugged and high cells equal hospital visit plugged and high cells equals hospital visit oh this is in the uk okay go for it do you want to talk about this yeah. we talk about this one yeah yeah so oh god this happened like this was after venezuela and it was after the book release and um you know it's i'd i'd had my life you know i'd lost everything you know and i was just trying to make my way in life again i'd lost my house everything i'd worked for 
Um, so I was just, you know, doing my thing and the police pulled me and I had, um, oh my God, I had half a litre of ketamine on me, which is like 25 grams. And the police pulled me, so I got it in my secret pocket quickly before before they <laughs> before they, <laughs> before they managed to actually you know before I stopped the car. So I got stopped and um, got drug tested, came up positive, and I got took down to the police station and got, yeah, and they strip searched me because they know me. And they were like <laughs> they. But they didn't find anything because it was in my secret pocket. So I went into the cells and I was a ketamine addict at the time. And I've got 25 grams of ketamine on me. <laughs> and you've just put me in the cells, mate. You know, so and I and they gave me a, a blanket and I put the blanket over me and put my head under it. Because they've got they never used to, but they've got cameras in the cells now in the UK, but they never used to have that. Like when I was a kid, but they've got these cameras in there now, watching you all going on the toilet, everything. Dirty pervs. So I so I'd like put my head like under the blanket, squeeze out my 25 grams. <laughs> and you got these plastic blue mattresses in the cells. <laughs> and like I just like picked up this cake and it was crystal. So it wasn't cooked, it wasn't powder, it wasn't liquid. So I squeezed it out, I was opening the bag, I had my head in the duvet and I was like like up my nose but crystal because it wasn't cooked it was so heavy half of it was just like dropping out you know so then I'd like put it back go to the toilet oh it looked like it'd been snowing on that plastic blue mattress every time I got out but I did it so much I went into this um, state of fits and seizures and I came (laughs) I came round in an ambulance because the like, crystal must be really concentrated, is it? It's it's like shards of glass. Yeah. You know, it's literally like shards and of glass. You, did you actually get high off it? Oh, totally. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's why I started having fits and seizures, Sean, you know. Yeah. I was totally. And I was just digging in. I was just like, I'm, you know, I mean, I know that I'm in the cell. So, I like, that's me for a good 14, 15 hours. Yeah. Like, you know, what am I going to do? Going to sniff the K and just, like, forget about it until yeah. I come round. So then I come round and I'm in an ambulance. I'm like, what's going on? And I'm like, I'm handcuffed and the ambulance people are trying to deal with me and there's like a police officer there and they're like, oh God, Natalie, whatever you've got on you, like stop it. You know, we've had to phone an ambulance on you because you're, you know, having fits and seizures. And I'm like, oh, I've got to go to hospital. Let's get to hospital and I'm like, can I go to the toilet? Because I've come round by then. I'm in the toilet, squeeze it out, in the toilet. I'm just on it. On it. I get taken back to the police station. And then when I get to the police station, they leave the the door open because I've been put on watch. And there's a police officer there, like watching me, you know, to make sure that I'm not doing anything because they can't do internal searches on you. Yeah. They're physically not allowed to do that. So they might know what's going on, but there's just nothing they can do about it. Mm. So this police officer is supposed to be watching me. Next thing, he's bored of watching me for a while. One of his buddies goes past and starts talking to him. That's me under the blanket (laughs) again, again, just, you know. And it got to the point where the custody sergeant actually came in and said to me, Natalie, we know, obviously, obviously you have something on you. You probably want to get out of here. We don't want you here anymore. You're doing our head in now. Can you just stop? What We can't interview you like this because you're 
fact, basically. Whatever it is and whatever you're doing, can you? if you want to get out of here, just stop for a bit so that we can get you in the interview room, interview you and get you out of here. <laughs> I was like, all right, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I want to get out. I'm bored now. <laughs> I've been to hospital. I've had my trip out. You know, you've got me. It's only a matter of time, isn't it, before you're actually going to have to get a warrant to be able to do some kind of, you know, search on me. <laughs> yeah, that sounds fair enough. <laughs> and you got to keep your stash. Yes, mate. Male and female screws and governors sleeping with female inmates. Oh, this was UK. This is in the UK. Yeah. Governors, yeah. UK governors. Yeah, this is in the UK. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah, this was just as rife as in Venezuela, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, so I was in a prison called, um, here, how are you in for it now, guys? Um, I was in a prison called Drake Hall. Drake Hall. Drake Hall in Staffordshire. Um, and I got there, and there was um, uh, one girl that had come in, and she'd been transferred from Holloway. And, you know, she didn't really say much about why she'd been transferred there. And it turned out the reason she'd been transferred there, and this was in the papers at the time, was because she had been sleeping with the governor of the Holloway prison and he'd been letting her out and taking her out and giving her day releases when she wasn't due them. And yeah, and he was the governor and having her in his office, having sexual relations with her. And, and they got caught. So there was an investigation going on. He went to prison for it, actually. No way, did he? Yeah. This yeah. was before Holloway closed then, just before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. yeah. He actually went to prison for it. Because it's considered rape, isn't it? Because you're a custodian yes. of the state. Yes, I think that's what he actually went to prison yeah. for. Yeah, yeah. And then there was another girl as well that got transferred in. Oh, I can't remember where she got transferred in from but she got transferred in from another prison where she'd been having a relationship with a female prison guard. <laughs> and then, but then she got transferred in because this investigation was going on and the female prison guard gave up her job before she got like sacked for gross misconduct and then used to come and visit oh. the prisoner on the yeah as visitors because she'd given up her job oh. and then another friend of mine as well was um i'm really sorry laura <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure you won't mind <laughs> she um had a relationship with a female prison guard and this prison guard was really close to her retirement and and left because like my mate was just about to get out of jail and had nowhere to go so the prison guard left her job about four years before her retirement so that when my mate got out, she could pick her up on day releases. And yeah, so it's, yeah. It's Power going, of yeah, love. Yeah, and I've heard, and you know, and I heard about it so much as well. You know, I know you have these boundaries, but it is mm. exactly like that, Sean. It it's is. just human nature, isn't yeah, it? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Need some drugs Call the Samaritans. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> so this is the UK as well. They oh, they run Samaritan projects in the prisons for the girls. I th think they probably do it with the guys as well, where the Samaritans come in and they train They train us up. I was one of the Samaritan people. Um, and you get trained up by the Samaritans 
um, so that because there are people in prison that get to points of desperation where they hurt themselves and they try and kill themselves and all they actually need is the ability to be able to talk to somebody like yeah. a Samaritan. So they're able to call, press a bell and say to the guard, I need a Samaritan. So, and we go through the exact, as prisoners, we have the exact same training that the Samaritans that you phone up go through. So we go on these rotors and we, you know, we might be asleep. It might be three o'clock in the morning and someone will come and, you know, say there's someone calling you. But there were other Samaritans that were basically drug smugglers throughout the prison. So it would be, a, it would be arranged that, you know, someone from like K-Wing would be ringing up for the Samaritan because they knew that it was like this person's shift and they'd be bringing, you know, and then the next person would be like ringing the Samaritan. There was this whole network of certain nights when it was certain, you know, I'd go out sometimes and I'd my shift had changed because, you know, the other Samaritan couldn't be bothered to do it. And they, I'd get there <laughs> and they, they didn't want to talk about anything. They just wanted their hit. And I was like, oh shit, no, I'm really sorry. We've topped our, sh our shifts round. <laughs> One of my catchphrases is the illegal black market in drugs, the money is so big it corrupts every profession it comes into contact with. Mm. Now we can add, including the Samaritans. <laughs> UK day release smugglers. Uh, that's exactly the same as Venezuela. Exactly the same thing. Um, so you know, we've got you've got people in the day releases mm. in the UK. And they're going out to work in the charity shops and they've got their drug dealers from their local villages coming to meet them, you know, on their breaks from the charity shops, you know, in the secret pocket, you know, just bringing it in, passing it on to the Samaritans, moving it, moving it around the prison, you know, <laughs> this prison system, you know, it doesn't work. Because of, of drug laws, that's why yes, it doesn't work. This prison system does not work, you know. It's not helping people, you know. You've got rapists going to prison for four or five years and you've got drug dealers exactly. going to prison for 10, you know. No one asks to be raped, you know. People are asking for their drugs, you know. And you, what's going on outside, it's happening inside with the drugs. It is not this this system that you've get, got set up. It's nonsense. It's just it, an insane money go around because there's so yes. much money being made by continuing the war on drugs even though it's corrupted everything all over yeah. the world you're just meeting new connections yeah send a drug dealer it doesn't matter whether it's a yeah. male drug dealer or a female drug dealer send them to, to prison mm -hmm. and all you are doing is introducing them to a whole network of a new community of new links so when they get out you know for i'm skin i've just got out from can you hook me up and you know that you're just introducing them to new people, yeah. to, you know, and you're not helping them, you're not doing anything. It's absolutely pointless. And we support LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, now known as Law Enforcement Action Partnership, who are cops who say prisons were designed to house people who hurt other people. Murderers, rapists, pedos, robbers, you name it. Person A harms person B. And what have we done? filled prisons up with low-level drug users so we can commoditize human beings to make 50 to 60 grand a year off taxpayers' money to house them, lowest hanging fruit, private prison contacts in the tens of billions. It has to stop! We are sick of it on this channel! And Natalie backs all this up 100%. Yeah, it's ridiculous. We could take all that money from housing these low-level users to seriously locking up the rapists, the pedos, the murderers, 
for long periods of time. Be, you know, but they slaps on the wrist. Why that? You know, who's the the people that are locking up the rapists are probably the people that are part of the, you know the the ringleaders in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. Epstein. Heroin in the post, please. Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> so um, again, this was in. So it stopped now. So I talk about this because I'm not going to mess it up for them because it's all it's all done now. <laughs> but again, this was in Drake Hall, and you used to be able to get. Um, used to be able to order from this company these vitamin tablets. One of the prisoner's boyfriends worked in the company <laughs> where they distributed the vitamin tablets. And he would fill up. So if you ordered the vitamin tablets to be delivered <laughs> to the prison, he would fill the bottles up with whatever the the real order was because the communication had come from his girlfriend and the, and it would be sealed, but properly sealed, like with a sealed, that's why they were letting them come in because they were coming direct <laughs> from the company with the sealed lids on them. Wow. And yeah, so we'd be getting like these little, you know, you know, like the, the mm. you know, like if you buy, I don't know, what vitamin C or yeah. whatever with a C lid in it, vitamin C my ass. <laughs> you know, it's full of like crack stones and heroin bags in there. See how the, smart the drugs are. It doesn't matter who gets arrested, the drugs will always keep flowing. Yeah. They come up with all of these methods to keep flowing. It's, it's get to the root of the problem, mm -hmm. not to like, oh, you know, stop the stop them from doing it. Mm. So why are they doing it? Exactly. So, you know, heal them. Find like out like they did in Portugal when they decriminalized heroin yeah. and they, the, the, the users were not afraid of getting arrested. So the health team spoke to them and then got them off the drugs. Yeah, because there's a reason why people are taking drugs. There's a reason why people are heroin addicts. Trauma. Addict. It's a, trauma. You know, it's usually childhood trauma. Yeah. So, you know, give them therapy. Give them the tools. And give to them guidance to deal with that trauma exactly. so that they don't feel the need to turn yeah. to the drugs. Yeah. Smuggling kids. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> So this was in Calais. Um, so can you remember when they had the jungle refugee camp in Calais? Oh yeah, it wasn't that long ago, was it? Yeah, I think it's. I think it finished about five or six years ago. Yeah. So I started going over there. Um, I was. Uh, I had a friend that was actually over there, and I was in a financially comfortable position where I wasn't able to do anything with my money because I have this ridiculous proceeds of crying oh, thing. Yeah. It's just, which is just like, again, you know, check out our last podcast where I think mm. we've spoke about that. Have a look at it in the book, look it up on Google. It's just absolute nonsense. So, you know, I had this money and I was like, I can't put it in the bank. I can't buy a house. I can't do this. I can't do that. Right. There's this thing going on in France with these refugees. Let me go over to France. Let me get a car. Let me take a load of food over. Let me take some shoes over. You know, let my let me you know spend my money on that and do something good with this money that I've got. So I was going over to the refugee camp, and you know they've got these kids there, Sean. You know these young boys, you know Syrian, Afghanistani refugee kids. You know, twelve, thirteen, fourteen years old that have walked thousands 
and thousands of miles. You know, they've had their villages bombed by America. All because our politicians just love yes. bombing the poorest yes. countries yes. in the world. Because of because of the UK government, because of the American government, because of their, you know, war on terrorism or, you know, terrorism, oh, terrorism. Shit, it's all right, it? George Bush. Is it George? You know, that was like <laughs> always going on about yeah, terrorism. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, t bombing these, you know, these these villages, you know, and these families being blown up. So you've got these poor kids there, mm. you know, these young boys like lost that have walked there just trying to find their way with no families. Mm. So um, I went over there the first time and I just, you know, there was this boy and I just fell in love with him, you know. He'd come to my caravan door every morning, you know, probably, you know, for exactly what he got, which was get to England, you know, like what, treating me like a princess, like a queen. Their manners, they were so lovely, just trying to help you so much. And this boy was, you know, trying to kill himself every day. He was walking for miles to get to like the bridges, you know, to jump off the bridge, to try and get on the lorries. And so many of these kids were getting mm. run over mm. by the lorries, you know, and killed by the police. And I was like, you know what? I want to take this boy back with me. So you Got did. my start. Yes, I did. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. What's the protocol to do that? Well, uh, well yeah, because it's shut now. So, yeah, it's finished now, isn't it? So... I got, I went to um, near the, like there's a Sainsbury's near the port of Calais and they've got cameras in Sainsbury's. So we dropped him off around the corner and in the car, we filled the car with, um, I had my boyfriend come with me and his family lived in France at the time. And we filled the car with boxes of saucepans, iron and bar boards, clothes, like made me look like we were moving. We went to Sainsbury's and we left the boot, the, we left the car unlocked, dropped the boy around the corner and we went off to a pizza restaurant. And while we were in the pizza restaurant, the boy came to the car. We, you know, it was all of... Love it. Yeah. And hid himself, you know, underneath all the boxes wow. and the boot of the car. And then we went across the border and it was... We timed it right. We were, it was about 15 minutes before it was the end of your check-in. And we got stopped. And our car's rammed full. You want to search our car? Yeah, signed. You want to search our car and emptying everything out? We're not getting on our ferry in 15 minutes. And if you search our car and you don't find everything, you know, and they're talking to us, yeah, we've just been to his parents. They live in France. We know we're moving things over. From through you go. What happens at the other end then? Oh, just went straight through. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we literally just went, like, straight, yeah. We just went straight through. But where um, does the boy end up? Uh, he, he's here. <laughs> he's here. This was, like, five or six years ago oh, now. Oh, is he doing good? Yeah. Sweet. Love it. Well done, man. Brilliant. Wow. All right. So, we're getting near the end of this then. Did you have any more stories that you have that has come to mind during this conversation oh nothing that we can talk about on camera sean <laughs> maybe afterwards maybe afterwards we'll go through it and see if we can talk about them next time and if you want more stories the links are going to be in the description box below this video for the book and can people like contact you on facebook twitter things like that um yeah you can find me on facebook if you want to find me on facebook it's natalie welsh i've mm. got a t-shirt saying you can't on it 
um, from the from Kent and the <laughs> from Kent and the gang that did the number one for Christmas just gone past. Um, you can also contact me through Gadfly Press. Mm-hmm. Gadfly are really good in passing on um, emails and things to me. Um, I just want love, guys. No haters, please. <laughs> <laughs> just you know. does Joe or James have any more questions? You guys got any questions? You guys don't see the guys behind the scenes, <laughs> but you got there's these two guys behind the scenes, the cameraman and the sound guy, and they're so awesome. So for the people watching, it's not just me and Sean. You've got these two great guys behind the scenes as well. They do a fantastic job. So bless and big up to them, George and James. Go on, guys. Thank and they you. had to go all the way around the M25 the wrong way because the Dartford Bridge was closed. <laughs> You're going to get them a hotel for the night then, are you, Sean? (laughs) (laughs) That's what he's saying, isn't it? (laughs) Expenses, that's what I can hear. Ching, ching. (laughs) On that note, please let us know what you thought of this video in the comments. Huge thank you to all the new subscribers. Subscription logo is in the bottom corner of the screen. And let's have a hug then. Yeah, always, Sean. If you go go right to right, you go heart to heart. Oh, yes, heart chakra to heart chakra. Cheers. Cheers. That was brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Peace and love.